Well, as Dave said, can I encourage you to have Bibles that you can follow along in? Welcome to those on live stream. Uh, my name's Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, make sure your Bible is open at Luke 5. Jesus did not come to give you a comfortable Western lifestyle. Jesus did not come so that you could get married and have five kids. We actually told us that five, we had people tell us that five is the perfect number. It's a quiverful. That is a quiver where you put your arrows in. I just thought it was a carful. Uh, the good news is not that God has given us democratically elected governments. The good news of the kingdom is not that we have Western democracy. The good news of life is not that we have leaders in our country that know where to draw the boundaries for sexual use. Jesus came to give us to do more than just heal us. How do those comments resonate with you? You see, last week we saw that Jesus came so that the good news of the kingdom is preached. You see, if the message of the kingdom was preached, it would be something like this. God is king, you are sinners, you are cactus. But the good news of the kingdom is this. God is king over all. We are all sinners. And Jesus has come to do something about our relationship with God so that you and I could become citizens of the kingdom again. Jesus wanted people to know that there is a means by which we can be made right with God for all eternity. That is the good news of the kingdom. Nothing more and nothing less. Do not distort it. Do not replace it with what you wish the kingdom was about. But, if Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, how will one person ever do it? How will one person take the good news of the kingdom to everyone? And how will it happen from generation to generation? The good news of the kingdom was not just for the people of Nazareth. It was not just for the people of Capernaum. It was not even just for the people of Judea. As we work through the Gospel of Luke, we will see that the good news of the kingdom is for you and for me. And a few of us were born a few generations after Jesus. How did we get to hear the good news of the kingdom? Last week, that we saw that Jesus left Capernaum to take the gospel, take the good news of the kingdom to Judea, the synagogues of Judea. Jesus is offering to rescue not just the people in Capernaum or Nazareth, but the people in, in the synagogues of Judea, the people who followed Yahweh under Old Covenant. They could come back into a right relationship with God This is good news because they just don't know that God is king. They know that they can come back into a right relationship with God through Jesus. They can be citizens of the kingdom. And we saw, 
And we'll keep seeing as we work through the Gospel of Luke that being citizens of the kingdom has everything to do with how you respond to Jesus. Which brings us to the question I asked, how will people find out about the good news of the kingdom and how will they keep finding out about the good news of the kingdom from one generation to the next? Why don't I pray for us as we look at God's word this morning, shall I? Our Lord and our God, we have been presented sometimes with very distorted views of what kingdom living is all about and what the good news of the kingdom is all about. We pray that we will grasp hold of what Jesus says it's about. We pray, Lord God, that you'll keep shaping our hearts. Help me to be clear with your word. Help our hearts to be open to your word. And most importantly... We pray, Lord God, that the good news of the kingdom will not just transform us, but will be on our lips for those around us and for the next generation. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus is on the edge of a lake called Lake Gennesaret. Uh, That's actually Lake Galilee. I don't know why he put his name in there, but it actually shows that Luke knows what he's talking about. Luke is not a distant writer about something he has not the foggiest. Gennesaret is a small part of Lake Galilee that's quite fertile, apparently. Not that I've planted a crop there. What it does tell us is that Luke has done what he said he did. He's either been, he's interviewed those who are eyewitnesses. He's checked out the story. He, he knows what he's talking about. This is not stuff he made up. But that's an aside. That's a secondary issue to what Luke is recording. He tells us there's a large crowd gathered. Not sure how big a large crowd is, but they're very pushy. They're squashed in. They have no social distancing. And Jesus, because he wants everyone to hear, gets on a boat. By no accident, he gets on a particular boat, Simon's boat. You see, the purpose that Luke is telling us this story has nothing to do with what Jesus is teaching. We don't know what Jesus taught. In fact, once he gets on the boat, everything he said is dismissed with a sentence. He would have been teaching, we know, verse 1, from the word of God. And that is the Old Testament. Remember, these guys didn't have the New Testament. He would have probably been unpacking the word of God. Outdoors. Not at the synagogue, notice that. Not to the people who might have identified as followers of Yahweh, but in the workplace, in the local fishermen's co-op. Crowds are large enough that Jesus gets into the boat. And we begin to find out the reason why Jesus got into the boat. He has an offer for Simon and his two colleagues that he's too good to refuse. And he hasn't told Simon what the offer is. We happen to know, but he hasn't told Simon. But he he asks Simon to go fishing. Now, Simon, Simon Peter, that's who we get told in, in chapter 6 that that's his extended name now. But Simon uh, protests at the thought. He's been up all night, didn't just get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's been up all night and not caught a thing. He's a professional fisherman. 
The nets they use are nets for the night. The nets they use in the daytime are really obvious, uh, linen. Fish are smart animals and they don't, fly, they don't swim into linen unless they can't see them. They're not, they're not the nets made out of the sort of stuff that we would expect them to be made out of. You can hear Simon Peter's comment. The nets that are made for night didn't work all last night. They sure as heck ain't going to work today. In the daylight. The fish will see them clearly. It's a waste of time. He's a professional fisherman. He's been up all night. That means he's tired. And Jesus is just a teacher. Imagine if I showed up at your work and told you exactly what to do with your work. You would rightly say, Rick, keep to your day job. Or maybe you might want to say, Rick, get a better job. Get a different job, one you actually know what you're doing with. Because you see, Simon's request, Jesus' request of Simon seems ridiculous. But Simon somehow, as he recognises he's heard Jesus, he's engaged Jesus, Jesus engaged him, sorry, he's prepared to give it a go, even if it seems ridiculous. And we know the story, a catch of the day. Two boats filled to sinking point. What Jesus has done is very clear. He's demonstrated his apparent authority over fish. But Jesus didn't come just to fill up their nets, did he? The purpose of Jesus is not teaching teaching us how to be better rock fishermen or better fishermen generally, or fisherwoman. I'm not quite sure how you say that these days. What we do see is that as a result of what Jesus' demonstration of his power and authority has been, that Simon Peter is a changed man. He falls on his knees. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What is the connection between our two boats full of fish and Simon Peter saying, I'm a sinful man? Well, people have spent their life, the last 2,000 years, people have been trying to guess the connection It doesn't really matter, does it? Peter's response is clear. Something Jesus has done has triggered in him the realisation that he is a sinner. It could have been, but I doubt it, that Peter has a fully-fledged idea of who Jesus is and he knows that he's the Son of God incarnate. And all of a sudden he realises that, well, I'm a sinner, God's in my boat... That's not a good idea for a sinner. I better get ask Jesus to leave. Where did he think Jesus was going to go? I don't think that's what it was. We see as we work through Luke's gospel that Simon Peter, Simon, is getting an increased understanding of who God is, but he hasn't got a fully fledged understanding of who, who Jesus is. Obviously, Jesus has just done the impossible. Any professional fisherman would know that. But we know that Simon's been listening to Jesus on more than one occasion. Something Jesus has said has triggered the two. His reaction could have been what he heard, what he's seen. But you know what? Simon Peter's reaction is actually not even the main purpose of the passage. It doesn't matter what what led from the fish being, the boats being full to Simon's falling on his knees. It doesn't matter what that link was. You see, Jesus has got into the boat for a bigger purpose. Jesus asked them, after taking the biggest catch of the day ever, to put their boats aside 
to follow him and start fishing for people. The language that Jesus uses, the Greek word that Jesus uses, gives the idea that Peter now wants to, Jesus wants Peter to now, now start catching fish alive. You see, you caught fish and you killed them and sold them in the markets, but now Peter wants to start fishing for a live catch, catching people for life. So they do it. Incredible, isn't it? They pull their boats out of the water, they leave them and everything there, and they follow Jesus. No more catching fish for the local markets. There's no, Jesus, that was a great catch. Do you want to go out tomorrow morning? We could only go out for half an hour. It won't take us very long the way you do fishing. What about, Jesus, how are we going to fund this? Why don't we do a, a once-a-week fishing trip? That'll keep us going. No. They are now catching people for life in the kingdom. That's the message of the good news of the kingdom. Now, in a moment we want to ask the question of how does any of what we've read today have any impact on us, to, uh, us at the moment. But let's go to the second passage, Luke 6, chapter 12. We're sort of covering the two of these where Jesus has actually called people to follow him passages in one day. But we, what you should already note is that Jesus is calling 12 from a larger group. There's a bunch of disciples and Jesus is calling 12 of them. And these 12 will have a special role in the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. The passage, although we'll see it in a couple of weeks, we haven't seen it in the reading first off today, follows just after... Jesus is starting to go head to head with the Pharisees and the teachers of law. The people who God in the old covenant has set apart to be people who teach God's people. You know, the old covenant has the 12 tribes of Israel and those 12 tribes are important amongst God's people in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, those 12 tribes are not important. And as those people, the representatives of those people, start to go head-to-head with the Messiah, they get replaced. And Luke wants us to know how that process happened. Luke won't dwell on this for a long time, but as you read through the rest of the, Old, the New Testament, you'll see that these 12, the 12 apostles become important amongst God's people and the way the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom goes forth. We get an insight into them the movement from the 12 tribes to the 12 apostles once jesus has established the good news part of the kingdom message that is once jesus has died to pay the debt of sin wipe away the guilt of sin so that you and i can approach the throne of grace with confidence once jesus has done that what he's going to do to these say to these 12 apostles is Go and tell everyone, all people from all nations. But that is for later on in the book. We're just getting to the point where Jesus chooses the 12 out of the larger group. Now, before we start asking the question of how does these passages affect us today, I want to just highlight two potential misuses of this passage. This passage from Luke chapter 6 is not about telling us how we should make big decisions. So if I'm going to make a big decision, I need to go up on the mountainside and pray all night. Now, going up on the mountainside is great. You get a great view from there. 
And praying all night is really good. Unless, of course, you're driving to Sydney the next morning. But you see, and so I'm not, I don't want to undermine the importance of prayer, but this is not the pattern that needs to happen every time you make a big decision. And that's sometimes the way that a passage like this is used. Let me show you why this is not the pattern you need to make every time you make a big decision. Let's go back to chapter 5. It says nothing about Jesus praying all night and yet he got into that boat particularly, specifically, to call Simon. And he knew that James and John would follow along. The other thing that we could misunderstand with this passage uh, actually is highlighted in a critique that an open atheist has made about Christians. He would say that if you don't know the books of the Bible in their right order, or if you don't know the names of the apostles, then you mustn't be a very good or mature Christian. Jesus did not come so that we've got a list of names to remember. You can teach a parrot to say the books of the Bible, if you're dedicated enough, I believe, just don't have the dedication. You can teach a parrot to say the names of the 12 apostles. Maturity as a Christian, Jesus will unpack this a little later on, has everything to do with how we hear the word of God and put it into practice. But we'll see that in a couple of weeks' time. So there's some misuse of the passage. How should the passage be used? Well, the passage gives us information, doesn't it? Remember, Luke wants us to know this information so that, well, initially Theophilus and us as readers later on might know the certainty of the things we've been taught. We get information here how the movement started between moving away from the 12 tribes to moving towards the 12 apostles as leaders of God's people. So we get information. We see the authority of Jesus on clear display, don't we? Imagine being able to control fish like that. That says a lot about who Jesus is. He's a good fisherman. Maybe he's a really good fisherman. Maybe he's got, maybe he had, what are those things in your boats that tell you where the fish are? Maybe he snuck one of those back. We see the authority of Jesus on display. Simon Peter, the fisherman, who knows you don't catch fish in daytime with those nets, does it anyhow because of the authority and power of Jesus that he's seen already. Maybe that's what it. Now we get to see that, don't we? But the authority of Jesus is important for us to pick up on because the authority of who Jesus is has everything to do with the need for people to respond to Jesus. That's our third point. You see, the people in Nazareth we've seen, they respond to Jesus by saying, we don't like you, we want to kill you. The people in Capernaum respond to Jesus by saying, we like what you do, healer on tap, stay with us. Peter, sorry, Simon, Simon Peter, we get find out, it's a bigger name, Simon asks Jesus to leave, not because he doesn't like what Jesus says, but because he realises there's a connection between, a bad connection between his sin and who Jesus is. And they shouldn't be both together. That's what he thinks. He asks Jesus to leave. There's no benefit. He's not after Jesus for his own benefit. He just realises that he's a sinner before Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't leave, does he? Instead, Jesus turns around to Simon and says, follow me. And we know as readers, because we've seen right from the beginning, that God announced why Jesus would come, that Jesus came to do something with that problem of sin. So Jesus doesn't say to Simon, oh, you're right, mate. I think I might just get out now. I didn't realise you were such a sinner. Jesus came to do something about the problem of sin and that is the good news that the, is part of the good news side of the message of the kingdom. One thing we should note here, everyone so far has responded to Jesus, haven't they? They weren't forced how to respond. They made a decision what to do with Jesus based on what they wanted Jesus to be like or maybe based on what Jesus was or who Jesus was. Everyone's going to have to respond to Jesus. Everyone. How have you responded to Jesus? That would be worthwhile asking, wouldn't it? If Jesus is who Luke is revealing him to be, how have you responded to Jesus? It becomes a complicated question in Australia, doesn't it? Because being here this morning can be cultural. You turn up because you've always done it. Your mates are here. It's becoming less so, but it's still there, isn't it? When I was in the country... Uh, one bloke told me that he came to church because you get the best farming information at church. If you go to the pub, the information's no good after two beers, we said. But if you come to church, the conversation after church, the bloke up the front's a nut job, but the conversation after church, he didn't say that, the conversation he did say was, you know exactly what crops, when to plant, how to plant, you get all the good information at church. So he comes less so is that culturally appropriate but it still happens you have responded to Jesus let's assume you're responding positively you want to follow him how are you going to keep responding to Jesus when you see what kingdom living really looks like how are you going to keep responding to Jesus when you find out that kingdom living can be hard it's not about comfortable western middle class living If you're uncertain about how you've responded to Jesus or whether you've really responded to Jesus, it is worthwhile asking the question, finding out more. The fourth thing I want to raise from this passage is this. The response of Simon and James and John should cause you to pause and ask this question. Do we need to leave everything like they did? You see, is the only response, the only right response to Jesus, pulling your fishing boats up and going into the world to tell the world about Jesus? I want to suggest that the first answer to that question is no, it's not the right only response. Because you read through, as you read through Luke's Gospel, we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, there are people who worked hard to provide for Peter and James and John and the 
and the 12 apostles. They worked. Not everyone gave up their work. People funded the disciples. You see, taking the good news of the kingdom to God is not all about leaving jobs. It's about you using the opportunities where you are to tell people about who, the, who Jesus is. The good news of the kingdom. The first answer was no, do you need to leave everything? The second answer is yes. I'm taking an each way bet on this one. You see, depending on how you hear the question, the cost of discipleship is it does cost you everything. What part of your life as a Christian has not been affected by your decision to follow Jesus? Well, maybe I should ask the question a little more honestly of us all. What part of our lives hasn't yet been affected or should have been affected but hasn't been affected by our desire to follow Jesus? Because the answer actually is all parts of our life should be affected by our decision to follow Jesus. See, the cost of following Jesus is everything, every single thing. Obedience to Jesus is going to impact every part of your lives if you're serious. Of course, if you're just doing this as a cultural phenomena, you can just put Jesus in the box and just keep him to affect the parts that you want him to. Jesus calls us to be, just a bit of a spoiler alert for how we go through, as we go through Luke, to be people who speak the good news of the kingdom to all the nations. And if you're going to obey that, I can guarantee you that that will affect every part of your life. Let's go back to the question I asked right at the very beginning. You see, if Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to everyone, how is that ever going to happen from generation to generation? The call of Jesus on the lives of the apostles, on the lives of the disciples, was that once he'd established the fact that the kingdom is good news, once Jesus had paid the debt of sin and wiped away the guilt of sin, once he'd died and risen, he said to go go, go and tell everyone. Who told you the good news of the kingdom? It wasn't family, mum and dad. Sunday school teachers, pastors, friends. Who was it who told you? It will be different for all of us because, well, as far as I know, really until meeting here on a Sunday, whenever that started, we all had different lives. And But maybe it was someone here who told you the good news of the kingdom. That is wonderful, isn't it? What a great privilege to be recipients of such a great message. Of course, God's Spirit actually applied the truth of those words that were spoken to you to transform your heart. But who told you? Now, here's the challenge. Who are you telling the good news of the kingdom? Oh, man, don't you wish the people you told would all of a sudden sit up and hear? Take it on board and be transformed. I know many of you are praying for family 
and trying to tell people, friends, the good news of the kingdom, but their ears are just full of wax. Who are you trying to tell the good news of the kingdom? Remember, the task Jesus gives us is to be people who speak the good news of the kingdom into the lives of people around us. But the work of the Spirit is to transform the hearts of those who hear. The the list of people that you could tell the good news of the kingdom is endless. And the challenge is, how many are we? That does not mean that they instantly sit up and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. How are we? How is a church ensuring that the good news of the kingdom is spread across the generations? Uh, an older Christian, a famous one, who I just can't, don't know his name off the top of my head, said we're one generation away from atheism. That means all we need to do is stop telling people about Jesus and from a human perspective, the next generation don't hear. Now God's bigger than that. He could write it across the, st- the, the, the sky if he wanted to, but he chooses to use us. How are we making sure the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is being shared? Uh, We could fund it, and I think that's really important. We are wealthy people. We can fund the proclamation of the kingdom. That's why I talked to you about Langham. We'll pray for the work of Langham in a moment. CMS and other organisations that really have a good news of the kingdom agenda, not a wrong agenda when it comes to the kingdom. So we can fund it. But I think I want to ask the question of how are we going about speaking the good news of the kingdom. And that's hard. And some of us are not really good at doing that. In fact, let me tell you, all of us are not real great at it. And we're not, we don't feel we can do it. And if you want to know how to do it better from a human perspective, please feel free to ask. It's worthwhile being trained up in because that's what Jesus came for. And that's the task that he gives us. I'm going to ask the question, though, at another level. Have you ever thought of actually, literally, stopping what you're doing now and setting aside a part of your life or the rest of your life to go somewhere and tell people the good news of the kingdom? You see, when we pray for the work of Kay in Southeast Asia and women, Michael, when we have someone like Mark Peterson come and talk about the work of CMS, do we always think that's someone else over there? Or do we ever, regardless of our age, by the way, ever think maybe that's something I could do? Now, if you're so old and doddery that you couldn't actually leave Australia, well, there's plenty of opportunities to serve him here. When I was in Armadale, Diocese, uh, some people in a church at Tamworth started a ministry, retired to retired, because they wanted to be used by God at a time that they had in retirement to take the good news of the kingdom to the community they lived in. It's not all about going overseas. Ever thought of going off to BCSA, Bible College of South Australia, and getting better equipped to take the good news of the kingdom to a world or a community that you live in that desperately needs to know Jesus? See, it's not just everyone else who goes that, does that. It may well be you. Well, there's a lot in that, isn't it? And we were hoping just to learn the names of the 12 apostles. Why don't I pray for us?
And I pray that God's word speaks to our hearts. Our Lord and our God, as we read a passage like this, we can walk away thinking, gee, that'd be a great catch to have. We can walk away being thoroughly entertained with just how impressive Jesus is. And yet, Lord, I have a feeling that Luke included this part of Jesus' ministry so that we might walk away with a better idea how the good news of the kingdom is to go forth into all the world across the generations. And you have called us into that kingdom, Lord. And we pray that we will not settle for a comfortable, false view of kingdom living, but might take seriously the need to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The fact that Jesus came to restore people's relationship with the king through his death and resurrection on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to do that. Keep equipping us better. Keep spurring us on more. Keep working through us to to change the hearts of those who hear so that people might recognise Jesus, who he is, and the good news that he offers. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.